This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. We're coming to you today live and on site from, uh, from Austin, Texas, from the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology's Priest Convocation. Uh, lovely, just sitting here looking out the windows at the lake. Uh, and I'm here with Dr. Lawrence Feingold. We've had him on the show before to talk about his, his I, I don't even have enough good words to say about it, his book on the Eucharist. Uh, we have another book of similar quality and similar size called Touched by Christ, the Sacramental Economy. This is available on Emmaus Academic Press. Dr. Feingold is the Associate Professor of Theology and Philosophy at Kenrick Glennon Seminary in St. Louis, and it is such a pleasure to have you back today. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. So this is uh, nearly an 800-page book. Mm -hmm. We're not going to be able to get to everything mm -hmm. in the hour here, but I wanted to look at a couple of of questions regarding the sacramental economy. And this is more than just talking about the sacraments in general, but it's looking at, at the sacraments as sacraments. We, you get to the place where you're talking about each one individually, but there is also this question of why do we participate in sacraments instead of just, as you mentioned earlier in your talk, instead of just going into your God corner, you know, getting, getting your corner where maybe you've got uh, a couple of icons set up or some time to pray or your, this, this location where you pull out your Bible or, or your commentaries and, and do that personal study. But the church calls us out of those things and into community and into this interchange uh, of a sacramental nature, not just this mental exercise or ascent, but into this practice that seems on some level to be kind of elementary, right? Uh, and of course, that word goes both ways because it is elemental. elemental. Mm -hmm. um, and so what is it about our faith and, and, and the sacraments that call us to practice that instead of some other way of practicing our own personal belief and faith? Yeah, so Christ... Um, the, the word became flesh, right? In the fullness of time, center of salvation history, he became flesh and so that and he could take on what is ours so as to give us a share of what is his, right? So the fathers of the church speak of this as the divine interchange. Mm -hmm. And yet he, he did this, walked, he took on what is ours, never to leave it, um, never to cast it off, right? right? He's man for all eternity, but he ascended into heaven uh, 40 days after his resurrection, 2,000 years ago, and, but yet he didn't leave us orphans, right? So he, he left us with some means by which he could continue to touch us today. Mm -hmm. And as he touched Mary Magdalene, right, and as Thomas touched him, the doubting Thomas, um, and in fact, in a better way, right? Because back 2,000 years ago, you had to be in the right place. Right. <laughs> you had to be in Galilee or in Capernaum. Um, but his, um, his mystical body is located all through the world. And so the sacraments are the means by which Christ touches us today, right? And so he's established, we, you, theologians like to use this word economy, the economy of salvation. And so there's a sacramental economy of salvation and of grace by which he touches us through sacred signs. Mm -hmm. um, and we might, yes, we might think that um, if he's going to, feed me spiritually, right? give me a share of what is his, that would happen in an angelic, spiritual kind of way in my God corner. But no, we're human beings, right? And so he's touching us 
as we are. Mm -hmm. In theology, we, we use this principle, everything is received according to the mode of the receiver. All right, our re we're receivers who are bodies and use senses and know everything first through our senses, and then we can know higher things, right, like God, right. Um, by abstraction and analogy, but our, our, um, our human mode is to know through what we've seen and touched and heard. Um, and so Christ respects um, what we are because um, he made us and he became what we are. Mm -hmm. um, and so he sanctifies us in a way that's also bodily and spiritual and divine at the same time. Right? So basically, the sacramental economy matches who we are. And then we're also sign makers Right? By, I mean, every, everything that humans do practically is a sign of some kind or other, right? All of our script, our speech, our, I used to be an artist in my former life before conversion. And um, yeah, so um, man, even if we're not you know, an artist by profession, every man um, is constantly making use of signs all day long. This is a little bit off track, but I mm -hmm. think it, it connects as well. Um, this, this use of signs, you mentioned that you used to be an artist. Uh, you also talked... Uh, about how it was art that actually conveyed mm. to you a sense of what the faith was before you were ever in a place right. where you could otherwise accept it. Right, yeah. Do you want me to Please. speak to that? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I was raised as an atheist, Jewish atheist, and um, um, Christian art was my way into the faith. Mm -hmm. right? And so I fell in love with Christian art, above all in college, in first year freshman art history class, um, and the professor um, introducing us to Christian art, but introducing us to look for the worldview mm -hmm. in works of art. In other words, what's the conviction about God, men, and their relation and society that's in a work of art? And is it true? And is the, be the beauty and truth must go together? Anyways, that was, that was a way leading us. And we spent um, um, many, 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 many hours in museums and churches, mostly churches, looking at works of sacred art and that was a great preparation for, you talk about for faith we being sign my wife makers. and i yeah mm -hmm. uh, you talk about we being sign makers and you were engaged in an art and looking around at art that was a sign of the worldview that you had mm -hmm. and I, if i recall correctly it was the intrinsic beauty of the art that you were seeing mm -hmm. in the christian community that was conveying something different than the kinds of art you were otherwise engaging with. Right. That spoke to that reality through the art. Uh-huh. Yeah, first day of class, the art history professor put up two images, right? No. Art historians compare images. And one was a Rembrandt portrait, mm -hmm. um, and the other was an abstract expressionist 20th century work, Woman Number no. 4 by de Kooning, which is um, all yeah. kind of chaotic and, um, and kind of, um, yeah, debasing the human, in other words, a trampled dignity, mm -hmm. basically, a suffering image. And so the question then was, if we were on our deathbed, which of these would we want to contemplate <laughs> yeah. on our deathbed, right? And I would want to, I was making things like woman number four, but I would want to contemplate Rembrandt's portrait because of some sense I couldn't put my finger on it, that he's portraying man made in the image and likeness of God, mm -hmm. right? With the redeemed by the blood of Christ. I didn't, couldn't right. see all that, fill in all the blanks yet. But So taking that, that reality of, of what the signs signify, mm -hmm. let's take this back to the sacraments because these, these elemental, these mm -hmm. elementary things that we're engaging with speak something about this elemental nature of us, but also draw us into, uh, into the divine in a way that 
right. that mere contemplation is unable to do in right. and of itself. Right. So in all human sign making, basically we're seeking to ascend, right? We're using the things that, that's basically Romans chapter 1 verse 20, right? That we come to know God through the things that he's made and we seek this ascending trajectory. But the Catholic faith is about the reverse as well, right? So God has sought out man and become man, right? And so we get this descending direction. And so the sacraments are made up of both of those, right? And so he takes what is ours, these signs, but he uses them in a way proper to him. So I mentioned this principle, everything is received according to the mode of the receiver. Right. But there's a complementary principle that we don't talk about very much. Everything is given according to the mode of the giver. Okay. Christ here is the giver, right? And he's got something to, to give that is his life, the divine, mm-hmm. right? But he's giving it to us through what is ours, sacred signs. But he, so he's speaking to us in the sacraments, but he's speaking in a way proper to, to God, right? Whose words are creative, right? Mm-hmm. Who cre- right? So let there be light and there was light. Yes. And so that's how we should hear the sacramental words, right? Mm-hmm. right? Above all in the mass, this is my body, right? right? This is my blood, right? Words that make happen what they say. And so that's, we could say, that's the logic or semantics of the sacraments. They represent, like other human signs and all other religious realities, but they do it in a divine way, um, realizing what they say and precisely what they signify. Hence, the sign is really important, right? right? Because what's given is what's signified. We, we have this term that the sacraments are efficacious signs. Mm -hmm. But the simple way, if if I'm understanding you, the simple way to say that is it is a sign that has the capability to transmit all the value it represents. Right, right. Because they're speaking, they're signs that speak in the divine mode. Mm -hmm. And the divine mode is to um, realize, right, um, what they say. Right, so Isaiah, my words don't come back to me void, right, without having fulfilled what I sent them out to accomplish. So when we talk about the sacraments, we're really familiar with listing down the seven. We mm-hmm. know what they are in our head. And we have a sense, because it's been really uh, uh, repeated over the years, that the Eucharist is the sign of Christ's body and blood mm-hmm. that makes present to us the grace of, of the whole passion and the mm-hmm. whole paschal mystery, life, death, and resurrection. Things uh, f- for many get a little fuzzier as we begin to talk about the other sacraments. Mm-hmm. Are they just other conduits into the same grace, or what signs ah. do they represent, and how are we to understand okay. our participation in those sacraments? Right. So the, the sacraments do what they represent, but they're rich symbols. They don't just represent one thing. Mm-hmm. They every sacrament has more than one level of meaning, and therefore more than one level of effect. Right. And so th- I mean. Even the Eucharist, it, body and blood, mm-hmm. um, but also Christ's death, right? That right. we enter into and union because it enters into our body. Yeah. And so union with Christ. So that's fundamentally what the Eucharist is representing is union. And therefore it gives the grace of union, which is charity. But every sacrament is going to be doing that, right? So baptism, we think above all of the sign of washing, right? right. Because, but um, in the early church, the principal way of receiving it, though, was by immersion, right? Full body immersion, which is a fuller sign. And that represents something more. So it's a washing, right? So water washing the body representing um, 
grace washing away original sin right. and personal sin, but at the same time, it's an immersion and a rising out of the pool, which represents, St. Paul tells us in Romans 6, mm -hmm. dying with Christ and rising with him, and therefore putting on both Christ's death, and that's death to the old man in sin, and um, his resurrection, rising to a new life. And so the baptism has to do both of those, all three of those things, washing away original sin, and therefore that means precisely a death to sin in the old man and a rising to new life. Mm -hmm. right? And we could go through each of the sacraments doing what they say, right? So confirmation, so baptism being birth in that sense, again, from the waters. Um, confirmation, though, represents in a different way. So the anointing mm -hmm. and the laying on of hands is laying on of hands, that's indicating a transfer of headship. Right? And so that's receiving from Christ, not simply to be a member of his body, but to share in his active mission. And then the anointing with olive oil signifying his anointing with the Holy Spirit, which is the hypostatic union. All right, we don't get the hypostatic union, but we get um, the sanctifying grace, sharing in the divine nature and the gift of the indwelling of the divine persons above all the Holy Spirit. So you're sticking with the easy ones here. I'm going okay. to drag you out okay. into one that... Uh, that sometimes feels a little bit more complex to understand. Uh, let's talk about the sacrament of marriage. Of course, Paul talks about mm -hmm. it being a, a sign of Christ and his church. Right. But how does marriage uh, that how does marriage bestow grace on the couple, and in what way? Okay. Uh, obviously, for okay. for the church, it's a sacrament because it it. Uh, is assigned to the whole church and gives grace to the whole church, but how does that in turn then give specific grace to the couple receiving? Okay, great. So maybe can I just retreat back and uh, do, do it a little please. more general way? So all the sacraments um, give the same effect, mm -hmm. and that's sanctifying grace, and everything that flows from sanctifying grace, which is a lot. So all the so baptism giving us for the first time. Yeah. Sorry, I'm going to get to your question in about oh, five sure. minutes. Uh, so baptism, giving us sanctifying grace for the first time, and from sanctifying grace, though, flows faith, hope, and charity. Mm -hmm. So charity above all, God is love. So if we're sharing in the divine nature, that's sanctifying grace, we're sharing in the divine ability to love, and that sharing in his ability to love enables him to become present in a new way as the beloved, so the indwelling mm -hmm. of the Holy Spirit. And then it also, sharing in the divine nature makes us sons, right? And because the... Child has to be properly a son or daughter, has to share the nature of the parent. And so sanctifying grace, making that possible too. And then the love gives docility to the one that you love. And that's the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So all seven sacraments are giving in that sense the same effect. Sanctifying grace and these things that flow from, things I shouldn't call them, these magnificent qualities that flow from sanctifying grace. Mm -hmm. All right, so if that's the case, why are there seven sacraments? Why not just one right. super sacrament that gives us everything? Um, and so St. Thomas answers that by saying that the seven sacraments represent seven fundamental things we need in our natural life that we also need in our supernatural life. So we can make an analogy. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, so baptism corresponds to birth, et cetera. Matrimony corresponds to matrimony there. Right. Um, um, just simply un raised up to the supernatural level. All right. In addition to giving sanctifying grace, um, since we have seven needs in our natural life and seven needs in our supernatural life, it's reasonable to think that the sacraments give something, each one proper, um, that's 
proper to the need or mission that it represents. Um, and we call those um, sacramental graces that will be proper to each sacrament. And they consist in, above all, in actual graces. Right, so actual graces are the graces that we receive um, in the present moment. Mm -hmm. So a grace of illumination, my intellect to see something that I hadn't seen before, and a grace in the will to be attracted to the things of God or to his plan for us. So each sacrament is going to give um, sacramental graces that include these actual graces um, throughout the time that that sacrament abides in us. All right, matrimony abides until death, right? And so, yes, I said my I do uh, 41 years ago, uh, 40 years ago, but um, that um, um, passing moment that took uh, a few minutes um, made um, uh, an abiding reality. That is the sacramental bond that abides right today. So, um, And from that sacramental bond, graces are given today to fulfill the mission of matrimony. Right, the mission of matrimony is for the couple to be an icon, a living icon, right? as you said, before right. the world, of Christ and his bride, the church, and how Christ loved his bride to the end. All right, by ourselves. So how dependent we are um, for those sacramental graces, right? I can't do that, right? And so it's a key thing for us all to that we can't ourselves um, accomplish these missions that each sacrament gives by our own power. Well, it seems like this is one of the, the key things we need to keep in mind, that the sacraments... The, the, uh, keep in mind the sacramental economy, right? Mm -hmm. When we have a perspective that's only focused on today mm -hmm. and focused on whatever frustration we might mm -hmm. have with our spouse, um, that we're living in that moment not cognizant of the sacramental nature, right. and not cognizant of, of the telos, of the reason right. for that sacramental right. nature. And because of that, we're less likely to go seek after that grace. That's right, right. So we need to call on the grace of the sacraments um, all the time, right? Right, and I, I refer to that, and so that's the kind of in the conclusion of the book. I speak about the importance of cultivating a sacramental spirituality. Mm -hmm. Sacramental spirituality would be one in which we call upon the grace of sacraments, perhaps that we've received a long time ago, right? Like baptism, confirmation, um, matrimony. In my case, um, I received that before right. baptism and confirmation. Um, and but although not as a sacrament, I received it as a sacrament at the moment of baptism. Right. right? We, my wife and I were married with an, a natural marriage. Right. But the moment we were baptized together, mm -hmm. um, it became sacramental by being, our, both being inserted into Christ mm -hmm. and that natural reality being elevated to be now a source of graces, right? A source of graces in the everyday nitty gritty of married life. Every time we enter the church, there's the, the, the baptismal font is there as we enter. Yeah. We dip our finger in, right. we sign ourselves with the cross, and very often it's force of habit. And oh, we don't totally. Take the moment to think, right. I am in this moment recalling my baptism, not in a sense of I remember the event that happened, but right. I am remembering right. and, and calling on those sacramental graces That's to say, right. oh, I am part of this. This meant something to me then, and it still conveys to me today, and puts us in that mindset. Right. And more than simply meant something, right, is doing something. Mm. Right? Both things are happening, right? Because it does what it means. Right. Right? It does what it represents. And so, yes, um, baptism, 
gives, um, I mean, it, the sacred sign, mm -hmm. death to sin and the old man rising to new life, that's always going to be active, right? And so baptism is always active in the Christian life, but we forget and we don't think about that, right, how it's active. But the thing is, the sacraments, they all are at work, but they can be more or less at work, right? Mm -hmm. In other words, the fruitfulness of the sacraments is not equal, yeah. but it depends on, and God makes it depend, mm -hmm. this is astounding, yes. on our desire, which his own grace awakens in us. But nevertheless, the more we desire um, sacramental grace, mm -hmm. the more it gets dynamically um, made present in our lives. There's this yeah. prayer by uh, Thomas Merton that, that I identify with quite well. And he talks about, my Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. Mm -hmm. And in that prayer, he says, um, I don't even know if I desire to please you, but I, bel uh, but I desire Heart to, to desi desire it, yep. right? Give me the desire to desire it. And sometimes mm -hmm. if we're, w whether we we're experiencing doubt in our faith, whether we're experiencing mm -hmm. difficulty in our marriage, finding right. those, those moments to dip our finger in the, in the holy mm -hmm. water or look at our ring yeah. and have those moments of remembrance yeah. as a way to, to increase our desire for right. those sacraments. Yeah. Yeah, because our, our human will is reflexive. And that means that just as when our intellect, right, we, if I know something, I know that I know. Mm -hmm. So if I desire to desire, then I'm desiring. Yeah. So I don't have to worry about it. Right? It's <laughs> enough to desire to desire, and I know I'm desiring. Yeah. Um, and yes, that's what's important in the, um, in the sacramental life. So you talked in your talk earlier today about the sacraments being presented to us on three levels, mm -hmm. on the level of, of the sign, on the level of the matter, and then on, then on the level of that actual grace. Can you break that out for us? Yeah, so the three levels would be, there's a sacred sign, and that itself is composed, right? So the sacred sign has um, normally something elemental material, mm -hmm. right? Water, um, bread and wine, olive oil, um, laying on of hands but um, also has an element of words, right? And so we speak of the matter and the form, the matter being what's um, the stuff, as it were, and then the words that clarify the meaning. That's all part of the symbol, this sign. And we, it's even richer than that. There's a minister, he's part of the sign too, right. and a subject who's part of the sign, right? And that's why, for example, um, the maleness of a priestly minister is important because he's, that's part of the sign of Christ the bridegroom. So that's our sign. Then the ultimate effect of the sacraments, we said, is grace, totally invisible, right? The, but um, that um, in between, there's another intermediate level that's both a hidden reality and a sign of grace. And it's easiest to see in the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. the Eucharist that intermediate reality is the real presence of Christ's body, blood, and then all the rest of him, mm -hmm. um, soul. And divinity, and so that real presence is not seen. So it's an invisible reality, right. but it's not the ultimate end of the sacrament. The ultimate end is that He enrich us with a share of His divinity. In other words, that He nourish us with charity, mm -hmm. um, and inflame that in us. And so that's the. Um, and then in other sacraments, it's um, with baptism and confirmation. It's characters that intermediate level. It's invisible. We can't see it. Um, I got baptized um, 30, 1989, 33 years ago, and um, that um, I got sealed, and that seal endures, abides, and abides as a, a word that still speaks 
words of power, right? That's why we can call on it today. That's that intermediate level. And that's magnificent. I think we don't think about that nearly enough. I've been sealed in baptism and confirmation with the seal of the King of Kings. Yeah. And I've been configured to him and to through his spirit that orders me to the Father, right? And has the Trinitarian dimension. And that's on the level of, that's a sign, but it's an invisible sign that's indelible, right? So that's, and, and that, in matrimony, there's something similar to that, right? In matrimony, um, the, the marital bond likewise abides as an image of Christ and the bridegroom, right? Of Christ's relationality. So there is that that temporal component. We remember mm-hmm. the day of our baptism, right. the day of our marriage. Mm-hmm. But then there is also this eternal component that doesn't age. And so right. it's not that, not even necessarily that the sacrament is persisting as much as the sacrament is still present and active in right. that one moment that we participate in, much in the same way that when we participate in the Eucharist, we're participating in that one sacrifice that took right. place uh, temporally, a long time mm-hmm. ago, but eternally still in our present moment. Right, right. So sacramental character enables, right, that that word that was spoken whenever we got it, 33 years ago, and to continue to speak, mm-hmm. right? And likewise with confirmation, marriage, and holy orders for those who receive it. Um, when talking of Scripture, the Catechism says that God spoke through one single utterance. Through him, through whom all things were made, and that one utterance, that one word, is the word made flesh. And I, I just love that idea of th- these things aren't being repeated as much as there is just that one uh-huh. moment, that one word of God that continues to make right. these realities present mm-hmm. to us. Right, that continues to speak, and to speak in a way perfectly suited to the concrete situation of the recipient. Right to us mm-hmm. in our concrete life. That means in our daily life, in our ordinary. And I love this idea in this picture because it means that no matter where you are, wh- whether you are uh, dealing with um, being a younger child and not mm-hmm. having the complete uh, mental development, mm-hmm. whether you're receiving as an adult or whether you have some other thing that prevents full mm-hmm. understanding, mm-hmm. it's not dependent necessarily right. on our understanding. It's dependent on God giving the grace in the manner that we Right. individually would receive right. and understand. It's dependent much more, so it's obviously dependent on his power. Mm-hmm. It's dependent on us, not so much on our understanding as our thirst, right? Yeah. Our our love, which makes us thirst. But that's precisely what we don't do enough and needs to be nourished. Mm-hmm. And so it's nourished in a progressive, di- in other words, what's so beautiful about the sacraments is that it's not a one-time done thing, right? And, and particularly the Eucharist, right? That we receive most frequently, but also frequent penance. But even those that we received once, we need to call on today. Yeah. We're talking today with Dr. Lawrence Feingold, Associate Professor of Theology and Philosophy at Kenrick Glennon Seminary in St. Louis. The book is Touched by Christ, the Sacramental Economy, available right now on Emmaus Academic Press. We're having this conversation from the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology Priest Convocation in Austin, Texas. If it sounds a little different, that's because we're live and in person Come join the ongoing conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle's at outside the walls and don't go anywhere because there's much more right after this. You're listening to outside the walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We're talking today here still in this season of Easter as we are celebrating the Paschal mystery, the death, resurrection of our Lord, and what that gives to us. We're talking about how we are recipients of that grace through the sacraments. We're speaking with Dr. Lawrence Feingold, who's an associate professor of theology and philosophy at Kenrick Glennon Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri, and talking about his new book, which is really uh, kind of a textbook Mm -hmm. uh, called Touched by Christ, the Sacramental Economy. This is not your your average light reading, but it is Mm -hmm. thorough. Uh, We're looking at nearly 800 pages i think like two pages no no if you go to the index we actually make it to page 801 okay okay. but you don't Uh, have to count the bibliography and index i tell you though i one of the things that i most love about your books is they're really you can read them cover to cover if you are so so inclined if you have that kind of academic nature um what i love though is your tables of contents are, are spiritually enriching just by themselves, <laughs> but they also make things very easy to, uh, to locate. You've, you've got a question mm-hmm. uh, that you want a specific answer to. Well, you have sometimes two headings in the mm-hmm. same page. You let you, your mm-hmm. reader know exactly where mm-hmm. they're going to find the answer, uh, and it's a wonderful reference work as well. Uh, so we've been talking about sacramental economy, uh, how we receive graces through the sacraments, I want to talk a little bit about the, the causal nature of the sacraments. Um, we receive these graces. Um, it's kind of sometimes we feel like it's that, that passage out of Scripture. The wind blows where it goes and mm-hmm. nobody knows where it comes from and where it goes. I feel most days that that's me in relation mm-hmm. to the sacraments. I, I believe that Jesus is present in the Eucharist. I, I believe that I'm receiving graces through my marriage and through my baptism, but sometimes I look at it and go, yeah, but how? Mm. So let me just dispel any false uh, um, hopes that somebody has. Obviously, I'm not going to be able to explain the how, but, um, but we can still say what, what we have to, th- how we should think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a huge problem, right? It's pre- how, because we're saying these s- sensible signs, which are things much lower than us, right? Water, um, bread, wine, um, words, um, olive oil, um, the laying on of hands. How can they produce, that's what we're saying, right? Mm-hmm. that they do what they represent. And we, the Catholic claim is that they're different from all other religious signs because they do what they say, and that means giving grace, which is a share in the divine life. All right, how on the earth is, on earth mm-hmm. is that possible? And um, if it were left to human beings, it would be impossible. Mm-hmm. Quite simply, um, because there's this great principle: nothing can give what it doesn't have. Right? Nobody can give what they don't have. Um, but there's, um, and so this has been, I, I mean, a great difficulty, and it, especially today, I think, leads people to disbelieve in the sacramental economy. How can water, right, give me grace? That seems ridiculous. How can bread and wine give me, um, or at least the appearance of bread and wine, give me the the body and blood of God, the Word incarnate. Um, how can the words of the priest in absolution do what they say? Um, well, so that's why I think it's so important just to put Christ at the center of the sacramental economy, right? This is why we say that part of the definition of sacraments is instituted by Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, he had to institute them because he alone has, can give 
what the sacraments give. Right. right? And so he, so that's the first key principle is Christ in his flesh, for the humanity of Christ, our eternal high priest, is at work in the whole sacramental economy. And so he's giving what he can give because he has it, divine life and, and grace. Right? He's got the fullness of it, and so he can give us our progressive share of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first piece. Christ is at work, and we got to, so any good explanation of sacramental causality has got to put the humanity of Christ in the center. Okay. Secondly, um, and here's, this is the contribution of Thomas Aquinas. Um, there was a debate in um, medieval theology um, about whether the sacraments work um, in that they're occasions for the divine power to do it directly, to directly give grace, or is it the sacrament itself that gives grace? Right? So this was a debate, um, and Thomas Aquinas took the side of, no, it's, it's got to be the sacraments themselves that give this, and where do we get that from? From the New Testament, um, from the, Jesus' own words, right? Speaking to Nicodemus, that water is God, right? He gave to water this power mm-hmm. to, um, to give grace. All right, but that still leaves us with the same problem, right? How can something low give what's higher? Well, we have an, an example of that in human life, and we do it all the time, and that is we make use of instruments, right? So I used to do art, and, and so I like to use Michelangelo examples. So Michelangelo's chisel made the David. Mm-hmm. All right. How can a, an inanimate chisel carve the David? Not by itself, but insofar as it's moved by the hand of the artist, which is moved by the mind of Michelangelo, mm-hmm. right? And so we do this all the time. So, and we call that instrumental causality. And it's a beautiful feature of instrumental causality that the instrument works above its own level. The instrument works on the level of the principal cause, right? So Michelangelo's chisel works on the level of Michelangelo's mind. Shakespeare's pen works on the level of Shakespeare's mind. And we could go on and on with all right. that. You know, the, um, the violin right, works not on the level of the strings of the violin, but on the level of the mind of the violinist. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so who's the principal artist here? It's Jesus Christ, who's God and man. And therefore, he's, as the principal cause, can make use of lower things, um, and the effect is going to be on the level of the principal cause. So Thomas Aquinas used this analogy of instrumental causality to understand the seven sacraments, and I think it's one of his great contributions to um, theology. And, um, um, And so I think that's exactly how we should think of it. Yes, the water of baptism is imparting divine life, because Christ is using it. So it's Christ who baptizes, right? But making use of water to impart the divine life and making use of a minister, mm-hmm. right? And so there's actually a chain of instrumental causes, right? And so we could say that Christ is the principal cause in his divinity, but his divinity is making use of his flesh and his humanity and his voice, his human voice, right? That instituted the sacraments 2,000 years ago. Um, and that's operating right now, right? So Christ's Humanity being the, we could say, the first glorious joined instrument, right? There are two kinds of instruments. Um, our bodies are, all of our limbs, right? Our organ is the Greek word for instrument. Mm-hmm. That's what organ means. And so each one of our body parts is an instrument of our soul to do things. Um, and that's a, a joined instrument, we could say. But with our joined instruments, our hands, right? Michelangelo makes use um, of a separate instrument, the chisel. So Christ his humanity is the joined instrument of his divinity, 
but he makes use then of separated instruments. And the first instrument he makes use of is a minister, mm-hmm. right? And the ordinary minister for almost all the sacraments, except for baptism and matrimony, is um, a priest with holy orders. Yeah. And um, he makes use of the priest as his living but separated instrument who's able to um, uh, make Christ's, um, enable, able to touch us today, here and now. Right through the the sacraments, a continuation in some way of the incarnation that we right, are an exactly. incarnational faith. Right, right. That, that's why you can't do confession over the phone or over. Right, Zoom right. Call. There needs to be this contact that's properly human and involves because, human presence. Because that in itself is a sign of Christ's nearness to exactly, us. Exactly right. Physicality is part of the sacramental economy. So Christ making use of this instrument, the, um, uh, living instrument, the the sacred minister, um, who lends, as it were, his lips and hands to Jesus to speak through them here today. All right, so that'd be the first. And then that minister is making use of other signs, right? And they're, again, separated instruments, water, um, and words. Um, and, but all this, in all of this, it's Christ acting, giving something on his level, on the level of his divinity, a share in his divine life. Right? And so that's, I mean, the how Right. Um, it's not a mechanical how. It's a how on the fact that he can give what he has. So that's the big problem. How can something um, like water give what it doesn't have? Well, it, it doesn't have it as water, mm-hmm. but it has it um, by being used by Christ as an instrument to give what Christ properly has, like the paintbrush of Raphael or the chisel of Michelangelo. You mentioned this in the book as well. We live at a time where our manner of thinking has so far moved beyond this kind mm-hmm. of thought. We've entered into mm-hmm. to, uh, really almost an overdependence on the empirical. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I call it the Scooby-Doo effect, right? Mm. There's got to be an explanation for mm-hmm. this empirically so. How can we begin to train ourselves into this more sacramental way of thinking uh, away from not to say that empirical is bad, right. but it's insufficient, I think, right. to understand what God is giving to us yeah. in the sacraments. So I would say two things. The, um, first, uh, I think the Gospels give us the, the way, and that's seeing the power of Jesus' words. In other words, what happens in the New Testament, Jesus' words do things. Yeah. Right? So he cures the leper through his word. He cures the blind man through his word and some um, mud uh, right. that he makes with his saliva, etc. So he's making use in the Gospels of his words and physical signs and gestures precisely to do something that his divine power is realizing through those words. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening in the sacramental economy. So that's the first connection people need to make. There's a reason why Jesus did so many healing miracles in the Gospels, because that's the type or exemplar of his sacramental miracles, which are higher and greater. Mm -hmm. So that'd be the first thing. And the second thing I would say is the importance of beauty as just simply... um, We've, when we see everything in an empirical, pragmatic um, framework, beauty gets left out of the picture. Yeah. And beauty helps us to see there's a typology of creation. In other words, creation was made precisely to point to higher things. Mm-hmm. And um, so a typology of creation and then a typology of salvation history. right? And, um, um, and that's also part of what we need to recover to properly exp- Right, experience the um, or come to 
um, appreciate more the sacramental economy. And this really affects marriage, I think, in, in a huge way. We're just not accustomed to seeing things. I mean, the conjugal act is the most profound symbol, pointing beyond itself and through the sacrament of matrimony being given a, a power to... Um, uh, participate yeah, in creation. To, exactly, participation in creation and to... Um, Mediate matrimony, mediating sacramental graces, mm -hmm. right? That sacramental bond, uh, mediating the graces that the spouses need, etc. And so to, re yeah, to recover a sense of um, beauty pointing beyond itself, but here recognizing that it only doesn't only have the power to point, but actually to sanctify, mm -hmm. right? So again, seeing this catechism uses the expression masterworks of God to speak about the sacraments. And I think that can be helpful, right? To think of the sacraments as masterpieces. And they're much greater than, you know, Raphael's masterpiece or Michelangelo. They point beyond themselves, but they don't do anything, right? Whereas the sacraments are masterpieces that are humble in their appearance, but have this power, a vital power, to give divine life. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that... Yeah. The, the whole idea that God wants to meet us in our moment and to make his nearness known to us in that moment. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of whatever it is we're going through, in the midst of our frustration, in the midst of our confusion, in the midst of, of uh, any difficulty that we may personally be having, he wants to meet us in that moment and bring us into perfection. Right. You know, to he says, touch us, right? right? And so he can sacramentally touch us that with his humanity, right, and the power of his paschal mystery. So you've mentioned going to the New Testament, reading the words of Christ, mm -hmm. seeing how Christ's words mm -hmm. make things manifest. You've talked about focusing on beauty. Is there, as you think about beauty pointing us to the sacraments, is there a specific tangible practice, maybe a, a first step or two that gets us beyond the idea of go meditate on beauty and into do this specific thing. Maybe someone doesn't know how to start looking toward beauty. Mm. What would be your prescription for them? <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know if I have a good prescription from that. But um, I mean, there's no one way to do it. Everybody's Certainly. touched in a different way. I mean, our scripture is, I mean, the Lectio Divina, I would say, is the mm -hmm. best way to, so meditating above all in the Gospels mm -hmm. is our contact with that living beauty that is Jesus, yeah. that, and that's going to give us our images of sacramental power, mm -hmm. right? So precisely those images of Jesus healing, Jesus multiplying, loaves, feeding, that, those are, give us the, the best, that's the primordial images that need to feed our imagination for getting a sacramental imagination. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so that's how I'd answer that. Lectio Divina, above all in the Gospels. Right? And it's useful to follow the church's yeah. liturgy, right? Her liturgical year, the Gospel for the day, right? The Gospel or the reading, um, scripture reading from the uh, liturgy of the hours. The book is Touched by Christ, The Sacramental Economy by Dr. Lawrence Feingold, available right now on Emmaus Academic Press. Dr. Feingold, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for, for having me. 
If you missed any part of my conversation with Dr. Feingold or you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com, including a previous episode we did with Dr. Feingold on the Eucharist. That's also a fantastic discussion where we talk about how Christ is present to us, how and why Christ is present to us in the Eucharist in a qualitative not quantitative way, how Christ is present to us in an actual way without being in a physical way. It's a fantastic conversation, and you can get to it by going to OutsideTheWalls.com, clicking the guest list up in the menu, and scrolling down till you see Dr. Feingold's name. Click on that, and you'll get both this week's episode and that previous episode, I think, from 2018. Now, um, there's always extra content that we don't get to in the show, that we make available to those who support the show through Patreon. However, this week, because of the topic, we're talking about the sacraments, and particularly we're talking in our extra segment about the importance and the reason why, you might have seen in the news recently, the Vatican ruled on uh, whether a baptism was valid or not valid if the words were changed from I baptize you to we baptize you. The Vatican said no, and there was a big brouhaha about it. A lot of people were confused. Dr. Feingold and I tackle that question in our extra segment. And so because of the importance of the topic, I am making that available to everyone this week. So make sure you go there at OutsideTheWalls.com and click that Patreon link in the menu. It will take you to that extra segment for you to listen to, enjoy, and share. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and church history. That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching, putting the magisterium at your fingertips by linking Scripture to the catechism, to fathers and doctors of the church, magisterial documents, biblical commentaries, original language tools, and so much more. You can learn more at Verbum.com. Today's reading from Scripture comes from the letter of St. Paul to the Colossians. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, 
and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That reading comes from the letter of St. Paul to the Colossians, and this is one of my favorite verses. But specifically, in light of our conversation today, as we're talking about being buried with Christ in baptism and raised again to newness of life, talking about what it means for us to become sharers in the divine nature, this is just a fantastic summary of that conversation. And it touches on some of what he was saying, Dr. Dr. Feingold was saying, about how we can deepen our understanding of that, how we can begin those practical steps. And it starts in verse 12, as he says, put on then as God's chosen one. We, we know what we're supposed to leave behind. We're pretty familiar with that. But then he goes through and says, here's some steps you can take. Put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, and so forth and so on. And then he goes on to say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is what Dr. Feingold was saying about spend time meditating on the Gospels. Spend time in Lexio Divina and allowing the Word of God to dwell in you richly. And that in and of itself, just meditating and, and really saturating ourselves in that story, will help us to live a more sacramental life, to, to be able to participate more deeply in those sacraments. And then coming to the end there, whatever you do, whatever it happens to be, Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And that right there uh, is a way for us to more deeply participate in the divine life, to become partakers in that divine nature, and to, to live in a way that fully appropriates the fruitfulness of the sacraments in our lives. Our reading from Church History Today comes from a sermon by St. Gaudentius of Brescia. The heavenly sacrifice instituted by Christ is the most gracious legacy of his new covenant. On the night he was delivered up to be crucified, he left us this gift as a pledge of his abiding presence. This sacrifice is our sustenance on life's journey. By it, we are nourished and supported along the road of life until we depart from this world and make our way to the Lord. For this reason, he addressed these words to us. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will not have life in you. It was the Lord's will that his gifts should remain with us and that we, who have been redeemed by his precious blood, should constantly be sanctified according to the pattern of his own passion. And so he commanded those faithful disciples of his, whom he made the first priests of his church, to enact these mysteries of eternal life continuously. All priests throughout the churches of the world must celebrate these mysteries until Christ comes again from heaven. Therefore, let us all, priests and people alike, be faithful to this everlasting memorial of our redemption. Daily it is before our eyes as a representation of the passion of Christ. We hold it in our hands, we receive it in our mouths, and we accept it in our hearts. 
it is appropriate that we should receive the body of Christ in the form of bread because as there are many grains of wheat in the flour from which the bread is made by mixing with water and baking it with fire, so also we know that many members make up the one body of Christ, which is brought to maturity by the fire of the Holy Spirit. Christ was born of the Holy Spirit, and since it was fitting that he should fulfill all justice, he entered into the waters of baptism to sanctify them. When he left the Jordan, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, who had descended upon him in the form of a dove. As the evangelist tells us, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. Similarly, the wine of Christ's blood drawn from the many grapes of the vineyard that he had planted, is extracted in the winepress of the cross. When men receive it with believing hearts, like capacious wineskins, it ferments within them by its own power. And so now that you have escaped from the power of Egypt and of Pharaoh, who is the devil, join with us, all of you, in receiving this sacrifice of the saving Passover with eagerness of dedicated hearts. Then, in our inmost being, we shall be wholly sanctified by the very Lord Jesus Christ, whom we believe to be present in his sacraments, and whose boundless power abides forever. That reading comes from a homily, a sermon by St. Gaudentius of Brescia. And I'm really struck by his words here at the end, this exhortation. And I have to ask myself, and I'm asking you as well, when is the last time that we received the sacraments in this way, receiving the sacrifice of the saving Passover with the eagerness of dedicated hearts? It can be easy to get caught up in everything that has to be done and and keeping the kids from losing their minds during Mass and and keeping our minds focused on the master and not on all of the other things that we have to do and the the grocery lists and everything else that tries to fly through our minds, but to receive the sacrifice of the saving Passover with the eagerness of dedicated hearts. We do this by preparing our hearts, by focusing our attention on Jesus, whether that be through the Lexio Divina of the Gospels, as Dr. Feingold was encouraging us to earlier, or whether it be simply allowing ourselves a quiet moment to stare and to gaze at the beauty around the church that draws us into that mystery. Allowing ourselves to be captivated and captured by the fact that this is not an ordinary thing that we do, but we are coming into the presence, the actual presence of the divine. And not only are we coming into the presence of the divine, not only does God allow us to come close to him, but then he subsumes us into himself. He makes us sharers in that divine nature. So remember, you have died and your life is hidden with God. You've been buried with Christ in baptism, raised again to walk in newness of life. Let's go out this week with new understanding, with eyes opened and hearts full of hope as we approach God's saving sacraments for us. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Eileen and all of those who support the show through Patreon. 
You can learn more about that Patreon support community at OutsideTheWalls.com. Just click the Patreon link there at the top. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.